It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Masterful Medvedev completes a title hat-trick. Nadal exits the top 10 for the first time since 2005. And Tennis Paradise gets underway in Indian Wells. Chris, today is the 7th of March and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ, especially backed by our crowd funders, Carol Gibson and Deanna Dukesny. It's been another gripping week on the ATP and WTA tours. We have had yet another title for Daniel Medvedev, a Medvedev masterclass out in the Middle East in Dubai. Donna Vekic as well, continuing her great start to the season with a fantastic final win against Caroline Garcia in Monterey and hold the phone Chris Breakpoint season two on Netflix it has been announced for next year get this get the series get the series link out well I think that we need to try and make an appearance in that I think they need a podcast <laughs> to do some commentary we can build up the hype we can set the scene oh, I uh, wish. maybe they'll I reach wish. out for some sound bites Joel you know we've had we've been approached before we have we have and i would love i would love if anyone from team breakpoint is listening if anyone wants to come on the show and talk about the series with us we we would happily put an episode out there because i feel like uh, we have reached out so many times and we're just running into brick walls we will promise to scrub up well we will be on time (laughs) and all three of us will make ourselves available and you're really excited because you're hoping maybe holger runa Maybe Holger Runa will make more of an appearance in Series well, maybe 2. Maybe that's my end. Maybe that's why I reach out to Joel. That could be mm. a good way of looking at it. Ooh, but that like is it. what the rumour is. New strategy. Yes, New the rumour is that he is filming for it. So I think he's um, definitely a good candidate. I hope Alcaraz is as well. That's a comeback mm. story. That's always pretty entertaining. Um, but they haven't even finished releasing all of it. We've got more episodes in June. So mm. yeah, early renewal must have been very popular. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly and and we mustn't forget so kim is not here this week um she is on holiday sunning she's out herself. in Palmer. yeah she's sunning herself um yeah so so not here she has sent us a few snaps she has been at the of course she has she's been at the rafael nadal academy and she sent us a message earlier saying she was currently on a rooftop bar in Palmer, drinking a hugo and I'm not going to lie, am I just like a cultural Luddite? Um, I have no idea what a Hugo is. So I read that and thought she was having a Paloma and I didn't read that as Palmer. <laughs> that makes more sense to me. I know what that one is. That one's with tequila and grapefruit. It makes even less sense to me. I've, I've got no idea what all these, all these terms are, but it does sound, it, it does sound very it nice. It sounds fancy and it looks lovely. Yeah. So we... Um, not too many sympathies for Kim there. I think she's having a lovely no. time. No, I, I didn't want to kind of be the hard person, be the difficult person, be like, you must record from out in Palmer. So yeah, she's having a she's having the week off. So it's just me and you to talk about all the action uh, from last week, as well as looking forward to Indian Wells. We're recording a day later, so we were able to digest the Indian Wells draws, which we're going to be talking about in the second half. Um, but yeah, of course, we're going to start with our highlights from from last week. So, Chris, what was your what was your highlight from the the tour last week? Well, my highlight is a social media highlight, so it's slightly cheating. Um, <laughs> but Joel, you're famous um, not just for the podcast, mm. but because you are a Jessica Pagula meme now. So Joel <laughs> recreated the Doritos moment that we spoke about last week. Um, and we rewrote it to be about what 
Uh, is it like being a podcaster? And um, JPEG herself uh, saw it, <laughs> gave us a cheeky like. Um, and so that has been seen by quite yeah. a few people, Joel. So how do you feel that your sad Doritos pick has been viewed by yes. 3,000 people? I know. It's amazing. I didn't know what to think when I saw that. I was like, oh my God, the podcast has made it. We've now famous enough that a picture of me with an orange Doritos bag has got liked by Jessica Bagula. I mean, these are these are incredible times. World that we number live in. three, no less. I mean, that's really. <laughs> it's not like it's a top fifty. This is something pretty special. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. So uh, yeah, Jessica Bagula, many thanks for liking liking the tweet. It has given me so much energy and so much life. I feel since uh, since that happened, just gave me a warm fuzzy feeling inside. And uh, yeah, anytime I'm now going to collect, I feel a Doritos bag. I'm always going to think about think about that moment well i mean keep it going take some more pictures and we'll keep linking it and then eventually we'll get her on the podcast that might be the way to get her attention joel yeah oh oh, she, oh yeah that's a great shout so like should we try and lure her in with some some sad doritos maybe perhaps onto that's the show. A commitment you're willing to make is Ooh, it yes maybe well maybe if we go to the beijing king cup and usa are there and maybe maybe she plays <laughs> we'll, we'll buy her some we'll doritos. request a, we'll request a player interview uh, in, the, in the media room after and we'll we'll bring the Doritos to her next time. That's a good idea. I like that. That sounds um, <laughs> like something that will really uh, spice up the press room. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. Well, that was what you, that was what you enjoyed. Yeah, what was your job? I, so I, I did have something that I, I enjoyed again, for some reason it is to do like last week. It is the same this week. It is to do, with Maxime Cressy and I know and he actually set an open record last Tuesday but it's a record I don't necessarily think it's one that you want because remember last time I was speaking about how he served four double faults um, in one game one after the other and just obviously lost lost his serve well he's gone one better than that well I say one better he's probably gone he's gone 21 times more better than that he served 25 double faults which is a record for a best of three set match that's not um, during good. his first round contest i know against felix ogier aliasim out in dubai um yeah i mean he did he did struck like 27 aces and um he, it obviously ended you know in defeat for him but um i was just like man that is impressive i mean in the era of Camilla Georgi, Arena Sabalenka, Sasha Zverev. He is putting himself in that list of uh, players who have have issues with, with serves, second serves and, and double faults. I mean, that's not necessarily a record that I think he would be chasing. But mm. I think I think you need 24 points to win a set. So essentially he gifted enough points to win a set to, yeah, to Felix in that one but he was only broken once which does beg the question slightly more embarrassing for Felix FAA that he wasn't able to break him more than once when that is that is a very good point because Ojal Yassim he was one for 14 on break points I mean this feels I mean I haven't watched the highlights but this feels like a very very ugly match uh, probably not one for the Madison Keys not one for the highlight Goff-esque. reel at the end of the season yes it's giving no. me <laughs> notes of that match from last week as well one to forget for him anyway one one to forget for Maxine Cressy sorry I'm Cressy's not gonna still messy we should say yeah he's, he's still messy uh, I'm not gonna I'm gonna try not to talk about him in a negative light uh, next week. Hopefully he does something amazing. I, To be honest, as much as I see him serving all these double faults, I still think he could probably set the record for like most aces or most unreturned serves. So. I think he probably could. I think he could. And I think um, we can give this a positive spin because he did pick up the doubles title, I believe. That is very true. That so is very true. So maybe he was just yeah. ironing out the kink so he could get it down on the doubles court this week. So messy <laughs> on the singles court, not so messy on the doubles court. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, Maxime Cressy did pick up the doubles title in Dubai and we had a not really a surprise winner in the singles competition. We had Daniel Medvedev win in the final. He defeated Andrei Rublev. Pretty routine, straightforward match, 6-2, 6-2. I think the more interesting result was in the semi-final when Medvedev defeated Novak Djokovic 
in straight sets. So, I mean, he is on some, Chris, he's on some absolutely great form at the moment. Three titles in three weeks. He, you know, had that little dip when he was outside the, the top 10 and it felt really odd. Karen Kachinov was doing well and Medvedev was like below him. But he has come storming back. He's storming up the rankings and, you know, he's going into Indian Wells as the as the favourite. I mean, to me right now, is there an argument to say that he is he is playing like the true world number one? Goodness, that is um, that's pretty punchy, I'd say. I think mm. obviously Australia wasn't necessarily his best tournament result that he's had so far going out in straight sets to Corda in round three. But he is the form player of the moment. That's for sure, because Djokovic in that semi really did not look like himself. Um, it was very odd because, I mean, the first serve percentage wasn't that high from Medvedev, um, but the points won on return were few and far between with only one break point being generated going one from one. So that's not normally kind of the, the serve bot reputation that Medvedev would have because he does tend to get broken every now and again. And it's not always, you know, a straight set win for him. So this was something that I was quite surprised by. But Joel, you did say that you called this. You could see this happening. Um, tell, tell me what you thought. Two sets or three sets did you think that one would have gone? Yeah, I... I do you know I did sense it. I was on, at the weekend. I was uh, away in Manchester, um, as you, as you can probably tell by my voice. I'm a little bit kind of worse for wear at the moment, but yeah, I sensed just the momentum Medvedev had, and also the scratchy start that Djokovic had to the tournament in Dubai. Um, you have Thomas Machak Czech qualifier in the first round don't really know a lot about him and he was pushed to a final set tiebreak which sort of gave me an indication um you know with Djokovic in terms of you know where his his level was at I don't know if it was the conditions you know adjusting to the you know to the the surface but um yeah it, it was it very much for me kind of Medvedev coming in with momentum and just kind of rubber stamping I think what we've already seen in in the last couple of weeks in terms of you know how just how good he's playing when playing at the moment and when it did come to that final against Rublev, you just really felt, unfortunately for Rublev, you just really felt there was one winner because, again, it's a it's a head-to-head record that is very much in favour of Medvedev. I swear like Rublev is always, always sort of the the bridesmaid, never the bride, a little bit like Yannick Sinner. And, um, you know, there was great kind of respect um, and sportsmanship between, between the two players, but just if you just put it on tennis playing ability alone, when Daniel Medvedev plays his best tennis and when Andre Rublev plays his best tennis, normally Daniel Medvedev's going to win that. I think you're pretty accurate there. I would draw attention to the fact that the previous two meetings they played prior to this one, Rublev had one. So it does kind of show mm. um, the fact that he had got those those two wins. That was, I think, that was in Cincinnati and in the ATP finals. Yeah. True. Um, but having, I was thinking that was when uh, Medvedev lost every match in a final set tiebreak or something like that but it shows how far mm. his game has come because Rublev I think people have thought has kind of um, played some great tennis this year you know he took out Holger in Australia he's been putting some results together um, a little bit up and down at times and he's mm. been a bit frustrated with how he's been playing but it was very very pedestrian that final it was a bit of a non-contest I did really enjoy. I actually think I enjoyed the 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 on court presentation. I think more than the actual match because there are a few great quotes from it. As I say, tremendous respect for each other. But there was quite a a, a barbed comment towards a certain Stefanos Sissipas uh, from Medvedev, who said, "Not long ago, I remember reading that one player, hint hint, Stefanos Sissipas said Andre." doesn't have so many weapons i hope you beat this guy many more times uh, which i thought was very interesting that he brought up you know talking about that rublev again i i feel like i still need to see more in terms of what other weapons he he has but certainly when medvedev's playing him he thinks he 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 certainly can bring more to the court than just a you know a big fiery forehand and a big big first serve I mean, the irony of the result being 6-2, 6-2 didn't look mm. like many weapons were on display that day. Yeah. Um, it seems a bit odd, doesn't it? I think he's maybe embracing his villain era once more. We had that previously, famous scenes at the US Open from years ago, um, and Cincinnati knocking over a camera. Maybe he's back in his villain era, and he just felt that he had too much support, and he wanted to spice mm. things up. Um uh, kind of in this in the rivalry with Sitsipas because it feels slightly unnecessary. I mean, why are we talking about Sitsipas when he wasn't even um, a contender uh, this week? So that feels 
a bit a bit of a low blow because I think that everyone moved on from that. Um, even we had we'd stopped the shared tool shed references. Do you still put Rublev in that category of like one one big weapon? That was it because I do think in that final, the one thing that Medvedev was able to do that not many of of Rublev's opponents did throughout the week consistently was really target that backhand side of Rublev, and if you do that more often than not, then it's going to break down from Rublev's point of view and get away from him quite quickly. And I think that's what Medvedev did really well. It's just not hit it to the, you know, not hit it to the Rublev forehand or not enable, you know, hit so deep that Rublev wasn't able to run around and hit his his forehand. Because when he does get into those positions, he can, you know, he can dominate. We, we've seen that. But I just think in this final game, it was, just, again, just what I would have expected that Medvedev, his you know tactical execution he can do things not necessarily other players can do and the depth he just puts on the ball yeah Rublev was really really struggling with it I do think he's pretty mid table top 10 um he's definitely not even though he's been ranked as high as kind of like number five this year I think he's not really one of those top four contenders or top five players um Djokovic obviously has moved up the rankings now Medvedev is still ranked below him I believe um so it does feel like that's a a bit odd mm. from a rankings perspective and when you're looking at kind of tournaments like Indian Wells as we'll preview a bit later in the podcast I don't think any of us will probably have Rublev going that deep in the draw um, because he does tend to be pick up the titles or pick up a final um, when the the 250s and the 500s are being played uh, and put in a decent showing at the 1000s but he's not picking up those sort of titles so I think for me he does have a big forehand, but the thing that's holding him back is a bit like what holds back Andy Murray at times, who doesn't always have that big weapon. Is actually, I think he gets down on himself. He's a bit too hard on himself. And I think that's something that people who I've been speaking to about tennis have been saying. It's quite hard watching him when he's sort of hitting himself with his racket or kind of getting very frustrated very early on. And when you're someone like him who needs to be playing very free tennis um, and kind of enabling that forehand to kind of let rip, I think it does get very mental with him and it can kind of cause big problems. So it's not that he doesn't have the weapons. I think it's, uh, he doesn't have the- Channeling the, over- the emotions. I agree. Yeah, I think it is something around that because um, when we've seen Medvedev kind of get in his head about things, he doesn't get the results either. So um, I think it's a fine balance. Um, but clearly, I mean, he's beaten Djokovic before, he's beaten Nadal before. Um, he's a very good player, but he isn't able to kind of do it at the moments that matter the most. And it was nice to see Sasha Zverev as well get to a semi-final. Look like he's getting back to form of old. Um, before we move on to Acapulco, we just got to spare a thought, don't we, Chris, for Alejandro Davidovich Fakina because he could very it could have very easily been very different for Andre Rublev because Fakina had what was it? He had five match points, didn't take a single one, and ended up losing the match. Yep, he had five match points in that second set tiebreak. Um, and that's not even the worst thing about it. Yeah, and the worst thing about it for him was that that actually happened to him the year before that he had match points, I believe, <laughs> against Yannick Sinner. Same that round, didn't get those two big wins. So if I was him, I'd have a quick look to see what else is being played <laughs> uh, in that week. And I would consider maybe taking a trip yeah. to Acapulco. Although I'm not going to have too much sympathy for him because he did put out one of my favourites, Malik Yaziri, into retirement, 6-2, 6-love. So, uh, yeah, he's got less, less sympathy from me. But, um, yeah, Rublev doing really well to get to the final from from that position. I mean, another player who I would say a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of fans would say doesn't necessarily have the big weapons, Alex de Menor in Acapulco winning the title, biggest title, I think, of his career, ATP 500, climbing back up the rankings, defeated Tommy Paul in the final. I think Tommy Paul was a little bit knackered from his semi-final against Taylor Fritz, which was which was a bit of a long one, bit of an epic. And I just think well, one player you don't want to come up against is, you know, after a really long match, is someone like a de, de Menor and his athleticism, which won out eventually in the end, 6-1 in the third. What did you what did you make of this result? Because I wasn't having Dumanor as a champion, you know, at the start of the week. I think it was unfortunate, you know, this draw Carlos Alcaraz, you know, dropped out after the draw was made. Cam Nori was scheduled to play, decided not to play against it. So the draw was, I think, a little bit lighter than it necessarily w- would have been as a as a five hundred. But uh, yeah, great result for Dumanor nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. I think 
what really kind of shone through this week from De Menor is the fact that he is one of the most physically fit on the tour. Um, mm. He did have a really uh, tough match against Holger in that uh, semi-final. That was something where um, Runa was actually cramping in that one, even though it was kind of um, uh, a three-set match. So I think it's something where the physicality in Mexico seemed to really play a really big role. Um, we saw in that one with Fritz and, and Tommy Paul that Fritz was struggling physically. He looked like he was kind of going to throw up at the side of the court. Um, and so it just kind of all credit to Dimon. He outlasted the rest of the field. And as we've talked about, and you've said, not necessarily known for having the biggest weapons. When I saw him play in Stockholm, I was pretty surprised by how kind of hard he does hit the ball. I mean, he's not the biggest hitter, but he definitely is able to um, cause some damage and he makes you beat him. And I think that's something that um, he clearly showed this week that uh, he's not going to give up, even though he lost that first set against Holger in the semifinal. So... Um, a great result for him and it makes you think if he's able to put a couple more of these results together he might be able to push towards you know top 15 maybe getting towards yeah. top yeah yeah absolutely I, it, I mean yeah I agree I think if you look at someone like a Cam Nori, you would again say doesn't have the the biggest Similar, weapons yeah. on the tour but has you know Effective. absolutely made the most of it and you know has has got into the top 10 and I think Alex de Menor um, you know could look to that and and see that as inspiration to go you know even further up the rankings I mean one player who I'm a bit kind of confused by at the moment Casper Rude he was the highest ranked player in the draw he was the second seed yeah went out to Taro Daniel in the second round it's not quite clicking I feel for Casper Rude at the moment it's very odd. I think I saw some comments by Marion Bartoli probably a few weeks ago who was saying that essentially because of the nature of Casper's off-season, he didn't actually have it as his off-season. He actually had his off-season after Australia. Um, that's when he did his main training block. Interesting. So when you think about that, he obviously wasn't going to be prepared to play his best tennis in Australia. Um, and then when you think about this kind of match coming just after that he obviously hasn't got his tennis to the place it needs to be to be competitive um at, at this sort of time because the unforced errors in that first round match which he did win um it was probably one of the worst performances i've seen from a top five player um yeah it was really it was, it was right up there and and daniel's one of those players who is very talented who's never probably achieved what he should have achieved but I was shocked this was his first top 10 win he'd ever had because he always seems to cause you know these top players problems and does rise mm. to the occasion um, but if I was Casper I'd be a bit concerned because uh, if you're waiting for clay um, then that that's one thing but if you're trying to put together some results this is not the way to do it. No, absolutely not. Maybe he should have played out in, in Chile on the, on the clay, maybe to, to to get some form because uh, we did have a final event in the Golden Swing. We had Nicholas Jarry, um, Santiago's own Nicholas Jarry, uh, win in the final against Tomas Echeverry of Argentina. Three sets. I mean, Nicholas Jarry throughout the week, he was basically the comeback kid, um, you know, buoyed on by passionate Chile fans to the point I might add that in his match against Diego Schwartzman um, <laughs> Schwartzman basically had to get six or seven security guards um, he, he said in, in press because he didn't feel feel safe that's how you know crazy it can get out there in, in South America but yeah Nicholas Shari coming through in three sets in the final I don't really know what to feel about this because Jarry he was suspended because of doping I mean, absolute fair play to him. I think he he came out of that without a ranking. So to see him do this and get back up there from being so far down. I mean, we've talked about how hard and how long actually that can take for some people. But to see it from that perspective, it is really impressive. But I also have to sort of bite my tongue a little bit because he did get suspended by the uh, the, the tennis integrity unit. Yes, indeed. Um, for context, for those who might not be aware, this was um, from a failed test in 2019 in November that was at the Davis Cup uh, finals. And what was kind of, um, uh, it was put down to at the time was Brazilian vitamins. Um, and the ITF uh, accepted that that was the reason, but it still is a banned, um, a banned substance that was uh, detected. Um, so it was a doping ban and Jerry did also accept this. So it's not the the most um, kind of questionable um, of 
of these cases. I think we've seen ones that have been absconded very quickly around some dodgy meat here and there. It's not a Sharapova, though, which was much more questionable and much more dubious. And there are still question marks hanging over that and how that she affects how she is viewed in the sport. But this one did seem to be one where they did accept it. It's not like a Simona Halep situation either. There was an explanation offered um, and it was accepted, but the ban was still given. So in terms of the redemption arc, it's nice to see someone able to rebuild their career from what does sound like an unfortunate situation. But at the same time... um, I think it's not like a doper is being glorified because as you say he's had to work his way back up yeah exactly it's uh yeah it was a gr- i mean it was a great a great story yeah and a great occasion in the final you're watching it, it was <laughs> the crowd was literally bouncing and that is one of i think the the fun things about watching the events in in south america they feel just so just so out there and wild and you feel like anything can happen it can be tense environments it can be fun environments you know that's really kind of the it's just complete world away from you know what you get at Wimbledon and, and Queens as a, as a British tennis fan so to see it from that angle yeah really really exciting but yeah there's still some sort of things to kind of be dealing with um we did have on the women's side two tournaments out in Austin Texas and Monterey as well. Marta Kostuk and Donna Vekic were your champions on the women's side in, in those 250 events. So Austin, this final was interesting again, Chris. Not necessarily from, I feel like, the result, but from, well, as soon as as soon as soon you know championship point ended. Because, you know, this was a match between Marta Kostuk, Ukrainian Marta Kostuk versus Gracheva of Russia. And Kostuk's been very vocal supporting Ukraine and she just did not she did not shake the hand of of Gracheva at the net she did not post for photos with Gracheva as well after the match so for me this was a very real situation that you know we're we're still kind of talking about the moment about what the the war means for the grass court season and, and Wimbledon and whether Russians and Belarusians will be able to play but it's very real on the tour at the moment and for me this is this was one of those moments where I don't think we've had this sort of what if moment you know so far I think this is the first Ukrainian champion in a few years so again where where do you stand on this can you is there any way can you begrudge Marta Kustuk in terms of what she did and not shake the hand of Gracheva I I have complete respect for the way that it was handled by everybody to be honest I think mm-hmm. Kostuk's made it clear that this is the approach that she wants to take when it comes to playing against Russians obviously it's a very difficult situation to be in um, and there's an awful lot going on um, and it's a very hard hard place to, to draw a line we've seen different Grand Slams take different policies yeah. um, she did obviously say that she wouldn't participate in um, an event uh, if Azarenka from, from Bel- a Belarusian um, was playing I think that was for um, a fundraiser or, or a kids day I think in, in the uh, was it the US Open she didn't shake Azarenka's hand there she made everyone aware that she wasn't going to it wasn't a surprise thing that no, she did. and it wasn't. And it didn't, it didn't it put a dampener on the event for her, mm. I don't think. I think it was obviously a, a difficult situation, um, but didn't put a dampener on it for her. And everyone seemed pretty pretty pleased um, in their speeches, including um, Garacheva. So I think it's it's something where, it, it, if anything, I think it's probably quite positive as a reminder that these tensions and what's going on is still very much real over a year into um the war so i actually think it was very well handled um and not so much like um a drama headline but i actually do think it's quite a pertinent and um uh impactful way of expressing it because they still competed no one was denied the ability to compete but there were boundaries that were drawn um and attention was kind of raised in a, in a, mm. a positive way and another final we had which i think was very well competed very well contested Donna Vekic versus Caroline Garcia. I thought they both brought very high levels of tennis to the court. Big serving from from both sides. But Donna Vekic coming through 7-5 in the third set in, in Monterey um, against Garcia. I mean, Garcia is now 0-2 in finals this season. Hasn't necessarily set the world alight like she did, I think, at the back end of last season. But it's still doing very well. But it's hard not to feel really happy for someone like Donna Vekic, given, you know, the injuries that, that she's been through, you know, where she was 
seeing her ranking like and you know unfortunately kind of tumble down and then yeah this season well to be honest since the back end of last season it's all really changed for her with with Pam Shriver coming on board Australian Open quarter final and uh, it's just it's just great to see her get back I well personally for me get back to where she belongs yeah she's I mean, such a talented player and she's someone who has had um, some really sort of incredible results, especially from a very, very young age. I mean, the first Mm. final she made was, um, I think it was in Uzbekistan in 2012. So, you know, this is 11 years into her career and she's still, I think she's 26. So um, it just shows how much... um, how much ability she's had and it feels like she's been around for you know a very long time and some of the best matches I've seen actually um have, have featured her I think the match against Johanna Conta um in Nottingham oh, yes, in 2017 fantastic well fantastic I, the, the Nottingham match. and then the Wimbledon match I think it was both of those contests were kind of some of the finest examples mm. of of women's tennis and grass court tennis and uh, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about specifically that Conta Vekic match at Wimbledon because that I yeah that was a very 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 good match where where all competitors brought it yeah and it was what a great um example of women's tennis and um, the match in nottingham that preceded that where she took the title that was another great one but um and then i think what's what's great about vekic is that even when she has been going through some pretty tough times i mean she picked up a title um in italy in 2021 as well so she's she's even when she's struggling she's still able to kind of put the results together so to have them so consistent at the start of this year i think is great because she's someone who can really cause some Mm. damage and when you look at the game that she has and how well she plays off both wings how strong the serve could be especially you know in those wimbledon matches um she's someone who has all the all the uh kind of the the attributes that you would want from um, a top player and it's um it's something that I mean this was also interesting because if one of the results earlier in the tournament for her had gone a little bit differently I mean she was not necessarily doing that well in her first round match um, and we talked about this with uh, Rublev who obviously made the final um, she was actually a set um, a set down when she mm, um, went through Serenka. because of her retirement from Serenka so it just shows you that all some of these top players need is just that in and then they're able to do something um, pretty great. I would say, Joel, a question I have for you on Garcia. So what, what's the difference this year from when she was picking up the titles last year? Um, and I think she might arguably be playing better this year, but she isn't getting it done. Have Has everyone else sort of put a target on her back? Have they raised their game? Um, or actually, has she let her level drop a little bit? I think for me, the there's an expectation now from you know, what to expect from, from Caroline Garcia, given her rise up the rankings and how, you know, how well she was playing, um, you know, at the end of, of last year. So I wonder if that pressure is maybe affecting her a little bit because we've seen the, the two finals she has made um, here and in Leon. I don't think she's, she obviously hasn't got the, the victory. Um, and, uh, you know, she, I think she's, you know, she's gone in as the favourite, you know, each time. So I do wonder if there's a little bit of extra pressure that she's sort of getting used to. I don't think it's like the wheels have come off completely. I still think she's playing a very good level of tennis. And I, I, I genuinely think that final was one of the, the better finals we've seen so far on the, on the, on the WTA tour this season. But um, it's just coming to those clutch moments that aren't necessarily kind of falling her way. Well, I, having said that, Joel, though, there was, um, in this one, I thought Vekic did play very, very well. Um, and it was almost very impressive how Garcia was able to stay with her in that third set. I think she was love 40 down on serve and got the hold. So um, in those moments previously, I guess, if you look at Garcia from maybe two or three years ago, she wouldn't, she would have been broken. You know, she wouldn't have got the hold or have the mental resolve in those situations. So... Um, I'm glad you're not counting her out yet because, you know, Kim might be listening. <laughs> you did. You did. Um... I was just channeling what I genuinely, when you asked me that question, I was just actually channeling what, what would Kim say? What would Kim say from the rooftop in Palmer? <laughs> Hugo in hand. Exactly. Yes. But I do, I do think, yeah, I mean, Vekic is very good at, I think, just not being, again, like that Belinda Bencic type mentality of not getting flustered and playing under under pressure and, and not being intimidated and, and maybe some of the the opponents that Caroline Garcia comes up against they just they just don't feel you know they've got to do well I think to not be intimidated by that big serve you know aces that might just kind of fly past them um 
but yeah i think you know it's, it's still coming together i just think yeah it's just just a few tweaks i think that you know she'll need to address in her game um yeah to get her back to to firing from uh, the end of last season where do you think um Vekic will be ranked by the end of the year if you had to say Ooh, joel that is a good that is a very good question i think it's really hard i think to look too far forward with someone like donna Vekic, but you know given i think you know she's got a very good all-round game i think she might do very well come the the grass court season you know she's got She's definitely got kind of, I think, prowess there given her power-based game. So I think, you know, top 10 is not out of the question. Do I expect to see her at the WTA Tour Finals at the end of the season? Probably not, but I maybe put her in that, you know, not camp, 9 to 16. 9 to 16, yeah. If that if that tournament in, I can't remember where it was, <laughs> was, was, was oh, still being played. was it too high? Yes. The with, elite with, uh, Yeah, for the ninth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, when everyone just dropped out because they couldn't be asked. If that was still around, I, I could see Donna Vekic in that. Um, I, I yeah. can't believe we'll see, that you say goes. that because that was um, Julia Gerges' happy hunting ground. I think she would defended that title. <laughs> oh, I feel, that, I feel like that says it all. But, um, Got her a top 10 finish, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a quick break now, but join us in the second half where we will be discussing the news that Rafael Nadal will drop out of the top 10 for the first time since 2005 after Indian Wells. A look at the men and ladies singles draws out in tennis paradise and the first raft of pairs announced for the newly vamped Hopman Cup. So do not go anywhere. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we are going to move on to a cheeky little par for the courts. And I'm looking forward to this because I'm not actually the quiz master this week. Because this is going to be, Chris, to me, a so well, it's, like, it's going to be a solo edition, isn't it? It is a solo edition. So you're playing for your pride, Joel. So you've had some good <laughs> results. Regardless, I feel like I'm always paying for my pride and it never, ever really goes well. Wow, I think you've, you're on a winning streak, if I remember correctly. So <laughs> let's see how we do here. Um, there is a theme and we are sticking to Indian Wells. Um, and we're also sticking to something that allows one of my favourite players to be mentioned. So that is a spoiler. But we are looking at players who have won Indian Wells more than once. So that is what we are looking at. And I can tell you there are 17 names across the male and female editions of the tournament. And I'm going to set par. I think you've got to get seven. Oh, this is tough. This is tough. So more than more than once. And male, male and fe- is that male and female? In male singles? and female. I'm setting par at seven. Eight, I'll give you a special eight. You can get rid of the slam spoon of shame. You, that's that's okay. how we'll work it. Okay. Ooh. Okay, right. Um, I'm going to start with someone obvious, someone not there this 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 year. Novak Djokovic. That is correct. Serena Williams. She has indeed won it twice. Rafael Nadal. That is the correct answer. Um... The low-hanging fruit is really being kind of got uh, here, Joel. Well, I've got to say Roger Federer. 
We're going for all of the goats. <laughs> so is that four? Okay, That's I'm four. halfway there. Oh, I'm I'm getting sweaty. I mean, this is sweaty palm time. Um, right. It's just really tricky. One of the one of your players that you really like. Mm, it's just not going to be Sloane Stevens. It just can't be. Um, I don't think Andy Murray won it twice either. I'm not convinced by that. I'm going to go back in the day and say Andre Agassi. I have to say, I do think that's an incorrect answer. Oh, so annoying. That is so annoying. Um, it's quite surprising, though. Did you have any more? Yeah, I was going to say, I was thinking Leighton Hewitt, Pete Sampras. You could have had both of those. Oh, no. I was thinking Ash Barty, but I don't don't know. Nope, that no. wouldn't have got you any points. So you would maybe would have got up to seven, potentially. Yeah, oh, that is frustrating. Who's the um, one I really wanted you to get, Joel? It's just not Sloane Stevens. Um, My OG favourite. Steffi Graf? Martina Hingis? would have gotten you a point. But the one I'm looking for is Daniela Hanchakova, who actually beat Martina Hingis in the final. Oh, She's won it okay. twice. She won it in 2002 and 2007. Okay. Um, Interesting. And every year she reminds us on Instagram relentlessly. And <laughs> why not? Right, why not, Daniela? Me, you've warned me when I'm going to watch it over the next couple of weeks. I'm going like, to have a I'll bing. send you some highlights. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have like a notepad and count how many times when she comes on commentary, how much how many times she's gonna mention it. Um, well, so what was the so what was the full what was the full list? The full list you could have had was Jimmy Connors, Boris Becker, Jim Courier, Pete Sampras, Michael Chang, Leighton Hewitt, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and then for the ladies' side we had. Martina Vratilova, we had Mary Jo Fernandez, Steffi Graf, Lindsay Davenport, Serena Williams, Daniela Hanchakova, Maria Sharapova, and then Victoria Azarenka. Oh, Sharapova and Azarenka, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's oh, that was a tough. A one. lot of one-time champions at Indian Wells. I should have been more confident with my like OG answers. If I'm not going to lie, because I, I just wasn't. Wasn't sure, and you just the, the, how competitive I feel like the last decade has been, particularly on the women's side. It's just very hard to win these tournaments like more than once. So, uh, yeah, I wonder. I wonder how Kim would have got on with that. Hopefully, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll find. We'll, we'll we'll ask it. We'll ask it next time. But we could do a, a midweek. Could you know, we could do how many um, <laughs> one-time champions can be named. Ooh, but I think that, that would be yes. a long, long list. We'd have to that see. Would have been, back that would have been a long, long list. Yes. Um, well, moving on to our Tennis Weekly mailbag. We had an email this week from Saif, who asked us this question. Many people view Margaret Court's record of 24 majors as an unfair benchmark for Serena Williams because Court mostly played before the professional era. And I agree. So does setting Court's fake record as the goalpost give Serena an easy pass at being the GOAT because it avoids measuring Serena's career against Steffi Graf's? Full disclosure, I am a lifelong Steffi fan. Um, wow. Where where to start with this? I'm obviously going to start with you, Chris, because you're obviously a big Serena fan. And I know that she was always in so intent on on that 24 majors right at the top margaret court record how do you how do you view that and and has it almost provided a do you think a smokescreen to other records that are arguably more impressive like you know some of the stats you know steffi graf has has produced for example you know weeks at, at world number one which has only just been surpassed by novak djokovic yeah i think it's um firstly i think it's a fantastic question from si if i think it's something that I do think needs to be talked about a bit more because it's kind of crazy that we mm. aren't talking about Steffi Graf kind of prior to this in terms of that record being broken. I think. Um, Did we get too fixated as like tennis media, just tennis people in general on the Margaret Court record? I think we did. I think the headline was done. It was really did kind of really put the hype in when it came to Serena's performances and kind of selling those tickets. Will she, won't she? Um, but it really does make you think when you look at it that um, that 
it seems like it's something that was maybe Serena mentioned it going for the all-time all-time record um, and maybe that was kind of her focus was on slams and that's kind of why it became that narrative but I was going to say kind of when you look at um, last week when we said about surpassing weeks at number one um, you look at the length of, of time they've been playing I mean um, the Grand Slam debut for Serena was in 1998 uh, and she played her last Grand Slams in well last to date in 2022 so that's a very long window whereas all of Steffi's results happened um, from 1983 to 1999 so just a 16 year window so that's something that's very very different in terms of um, just how impressive those numbers were that she put together including you know the calendar slam the golden slam in 1988 so when you look at some of these results and the dominance she was able to have um, I mean not losing at Grand Slams in 1985 or 1996 as well um, didn't play the Australian Open those years it's hard to argue that there was a player who was more dominant than Steffi Graf. Um, and I think that it had I mean, she retired. Longer, yeah, she retired yeah. at the she, top of her she game. She retired at 30. She retired at 30, I think, at, at number three in the rankings. And, and again, there's, there is, I think it's going to be different for different people, but some people are going to be more impressed by the level of dominance someone had in a short sp- period of time versus I think someone like a Serena, which has been maybe not as concentrated dominance, but, you know, has gone over generational Yeah, and that's partly, partly um, you know, that approach has kind of led to the longevity of Serena's career. I think whenever mm. I make comparisons from a GOAT perspective, um, I think the Serena Williams and Venus Williams story um, and everything that they've kind of triumphed against, I think as a collective effort, I do think that is, for me, um, GOAT-worthy. Um, but I do think if you're looking at the, the greatest female tennis player ever based on um, the results. I mean, you look at the Grand Slam results and, you know, she won a slam in her final year. She won, reached the final of Wimbledon, won Roland Garros quarterfinal. So it was very much bowing out right at the very top. And had she played longer, you know, she would have um, definitely picked up more results. But at the same time, had Serena not wanted Margaret Court's record so badly, she probably would have won quite a few of those last six finals she played. Um, so it's, it really is, um, a tough question to answer, but I do think the Margaret Court record shouldn't be mentioned. I do think that's a fake record. Um, and I do think that by focusing on grand slams, we, it has kind of discounted Steffi Graf from the conversation. I think she deserves to be spoken about much more when it comes to the grand slams as well, because, um, her career was, I mean, it was arguably like the benchmark for any, any career in women's tennis. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Thank you, Saeed, for that question. Listeners, if you've got any questions for the mailbag, make sure to get in touch with us on social media or email. We're always happy to read them and debate them, so make sure you get them in. But we're now going to move on to talking about, Chris, the return of the the true, the true mixed, the mixed team event, the Hotman Cup, returning to Nice this summer. We had it's it's an exhibition event. There are no ranking points. Um, we've had the first three pairs announced. Um, the headliner is probably France. Uh, sorry, Spain. Carlos Alcaraz and Paula Bedosa are going to play. We're going to have Richard Gasquet and Elise Cornet for France, while Switzerland will feature Belinda Bencic and Leandro Riedi. What do you make? What do you make of this announcement? The players that they've got. Do you think it's? Do you think it can be um, a success? Because the one thing I am worried about is that this is this is in like late July, and I was looking at the schedule, and there's a lot of events going on at the same time. Events with ranking points. You got Budapest, Palermo, Gustad, and Bastad all on at the same time. How are they going to draw players to play an exhibition event when ranking points are on is my biggest worry. I mean, especially the week after Wimbledon. Um, so if these players do play um, well at Wimbledon and get great results, there's no way that they'll be turning up the next week for the Hopman Cup. Um, so I have to say it's a, a real scheduling a issue. Sell. I think it's something, the nature of when it was played previously and in Australia was a very natural warm-up type event because it meant that you got to play more than one singles guaranteed because it was a round-robin format 
Um, and lots of top players like that because, you know, you don't necessarily play one match and then suddenly you're playing a Grand Slam. So I don't think oh, the, the scheduling is, is particularly good. I do think it's probably one of the worst scheduling of an event possibly ever because if you want to attract top talent, it's very hard for those players to commit and know that they will be there because you don't want to put out last minute and be one of those players that that does that. Um, and it is quite like a, an intense week because you will be playing multiple matches um, in a day because of the nature of that tournament. So if you're a, a mid to lower ranked player, your, your eyes will be on the ranking points. Um, and if you're a top ranked player, you'll probably hope that you wouldn't want to be there by the time it comes around to the tournament. So... I feel for the organisers, it's very hard to schedule a tournament and to get people to play at any time of the year when there are no ranking points on the line. Hence, the United Cup did have ranking points. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, uh, most of these players won't necessarily be there with full certainty. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Yeah, for me, just just reading about it, it's it feels like a bit of a come down from after Wimbledon. Uh, nice Lawn Tennis Club, it's giving me like Hurlingham Club exhibition type vibes I, I can't see the real competition be there I think it might be a bit more playful a bit more as I say in a true pure kind of exhibition have some have like some sense. rose have some rose watch some tennis yeah exactly uh, and, an and hey that can attract you know that can attract a certain crowd and we'll have to see we'll have to see how it does I do enjoy that they brought back the name um, the Hopman Cup feel like it's been off the tour for too long but yeah let's let's wait and see let's see what the other pairs are you sad it's no longer in Australia that was my question because obviously that was the nature of it was that it was there um, yeah. previously because of Harry Hopman obviously uh, no, I think you know legacies can. I think legacies can travel around the world. Um, I think the, the the saddest thing, obviously, about it not being in Australia, as you said, is that timing that it was at the start. It was nice. It was a nice, easy way into the season. Whereas this is like peak middle of the season, and to have, I think, what the you know the the the, the tones and the association of the event from the start of the season now plonking mm. that in the middle of the season I feel like there's going to need to be some sort of you know reset maybe even yeah. some sort of reset there in terms of what this is why can't we just call the United Cup the Hopman Cup and everyone's happy I know <laughs> I know that would that would you know that would be the I think the logical thing but um yeah we'll see how it goes um yeah we've got three pairs still to to wait on but we do have Indian Wells coming up um, this week starts tomorrow. Draws are out. Um, qualifying is underway. I think final qualifying rounds are tonight. Might even might even already be underway. We're going to quickly look at the men and women's draws, and we're going to offer some Grand Slam style predictions uh, for you listeners. Kim has actually also got in touch and told us her expected champions. So we've all had our say. And looking at the men's draw, well, actually, let's first of all look at who's not in the men's draw because that's been a big lead-up story um, to the announcement. Both Rafa and Novak Djokovic not there. Rafa not there, still coming back from injury. You suspect he's just kind of getting himself ready for the clay season. The sad thing about that is that, again, another record that maybe we don't talk about enough versus Grand Slams, after 17 years, yes, 17 years, 10 months, 23 days, he is going to be exiting the top 10. So, yeah, get out, get out the violins. Very, very sad for that. 17 um, years. I know it's a, it's a genuinely that is a mad stat that you know. Given all I of would, the injuries, that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, exactly. Um, so Rafa's not there, and Novak Djokovic is not there. He is, as we all know, he's not vaccinated. He, um, you know, he applied, um, I think, to to get into the United States. There was some surprising kind of lobbying going on from, you know, the USTA and the US Open social media account, which sort of took me by surprise. But he um, wasn't allowed entry. He did do the noble thing this time, though, and, and dropped out before the draw was made. Chris, what do you make of this? It's this is not kind of anything new. We've had this happen before, but it's a little bit different this time. Yeah, I think for me, it's just um, a real shame that once again, we're without Djokovic um, and Nadal at one of the biggest tournaments. And it's um, 
it's, I mean, very different reasons. I think with Djokovic, I can understand people's frustrations. I mean, the rules end next uh, next month, but at the same time, why should Djokovic be entitled to an exemption for that? So I understand it from both sides, but it does feel like this is a bit of a hangover of COVID rather than something that is um, very much pertinent to health and safety right now in the US. So I do think um, I can understand both sides of that. I think this is the perfect opportunity um, without Nadal, obviously last year's finalist, or Djokovic, um, the form player of this year, without them in the draw, for one of those players like Taylor Fritz to pick up a title they otherwise might not have gone all the way um, and won last year. Uh, so I think it's a big shame that we're still in this situation, but I do think um, the positives of that is that maybe we'll see some of the, the younger generation start to um, back up wins they've had previously or finally kind of get a Masters title. Well, Taylor Fritz is the defending champion and I would not be surprised if we have another new, uh, you know, another new champion, especially because, you know, Carlos Alcaraz, he is the top seed, but he is coming back from some sort of injury niggle. Stefanos Sissipas as well. He, there's a little bit of an injury cloud over him because he dropped out um, of his event last week. Can't remember which one it was, but um, Acapulco. is this... Is, Oh no, Acapulco. Was it Acapulco? Yeah. Was it Acapulco? Was it Dubai? I forget. Anyway, um, what, what, where? I mean, where do you look at with this draw? Because Daniel Medvedev is the fifth seed. Is he? He? I mean, to me, and I feel like for every other tennis fan, is he? Is he the favourite going into the competition? I think he probably does have to be. Um, I'm not sure how well he's played there previously. I don't think he's necessarily played his best tennis mm. um, no. over in uh, California. I do think there are some other players who it could be interesting to see how they will kind of put it together. Um, and I think it's more of a draw looking at what form are people in. And there's some questions about form when it comes to players like Casper, you know, the number three seed. Sitsipas hasn't really played much since that Australian Open final. He's had some early losses um, that lost to Yannick Sinner. Um, and so we've got kind of the question of can Norrie bring his form through? You know, he's mm. obviously played very well here before. Um, and in this swing, he's had some great results. So I think for me, it's kind of who will um, take the chance. Is it someone like Hercatch who's playing really well at the moment? Um, can he can he back up that Miami win by picking up an Indian Wells title? Can Sinner push on? So for me, I think it's the question of who's going to take this opportunity because with with the the gaping hole of Djokovic not being in there and Nadal, I think it really does offer a chance for someone to. And prove their worth um, and win what would be kind of six matches in a row to take a title, which is the ultimate kind of preparation for a slam. And on the women's side, uh, again, before we get into the looking at the draw very, very quickly, news today, the the WTA have done a deal um, with some private equity company called CVC Capital Partners. Now, this is a private equity firm. They basically, from what, from what I understand, they just put loads of money into various different sports you know they've worked with six nations rugby and and spain's la liga now they have given over in in some way or another 125 million pounds to the wta which sounds great to me i'm reading this like you know this is the void left by you know Plugging cutting ties china with, with china yeah. over over peng shui so i'm glad that they've got you know, some sort of money coming in from somewhere. They've obviously gone down the private equity route. However, I am a little bit nervous because, you know, I'm looking at Cosmos, for example, coming in and like doing all these things to Davis Cup and then swiftly exiting. So although I'm sort of buoyed by this and excited by this and this sort of massive, stable investment, I still think there's a few little kind of tales from the past that need to be that people should should be aware of the, so that we don't fall into any kind of pitfalls again, like, like Cosmos who came in, did what they want for two years and then left. That is definitely a very real risk. Wouldn't it be easier if Jessica Pagula and her family just yes. put this money up? Oh my up? God, what a great shout. She's going to stick much shout. more to the WTA and be much closer to that than a private equity situation. Mm. But again, I do think it's great that there is this funding going into women's tennis. And I mean, they could have obviously invested in men's tennis. They've invested in women's tennis in this instance. And I think it does allow the WTA to have that freedom to avoid China um, in these situations. And 
it was a big stance they made there and I think um this is sort of the, the funny they need to be able to continue have have the resolve that they did in what were difficult circumstances so positive to get some more influx of cash and very quickly looking at the draw Chris Igish Fiontech top seed is this like Daniel Medvedev to the men's draw? Is this is this eagers to lose, or where are you where are you looking at as your as your front runners for uh, the Indian Wells on the on the women's side? I have to say I do think that eager is gonna put out put in a really good showing here. I Kuchikova? think um, I think Kuchikova doesn't have a very good draw. She is due to play Sabalenka in the round of sixteen, I believe. And that match, I mean, there was a bagel in Sabalenka's favour there. And I think potentially the conditions do favour Sabalenka. So Kuchikova in the mix. Um, there's a few other players like Benchich, I think, is in the mix again. She's obviously been playing Emma Raducanu. I, I think with Emma <laughs> I mean, Raducanu... I'm just glad Emma Raducanu's in the draw. Um, she's got yeah. Danka Kovinic, who, who beat her at the Australian Open when... We had all those blisters come up on, on Radicani's hand. Um, but got... Kovinic has been in some rank form recently. I think mm, she, yeah. she lost to Heather. Heather Watson had a, a very good win, actually, uh, last week against her. Um, so I think Radicani could I, get I some, see her coming through could get that some one. revenge there. Yeah. Surely, Joel, you'll be watching Sloane Stevens versus Sophia Kennan. I reckon well, that's Grand a, Slam a pretty... fight. Grand Slam champion versus Grand Slam champion in the first round. Exactly. Kenan when we get to predictions, card, yeah. I think you might be very shocked, but um, un- well, uh, maybe slightly shocked, but I think not necessarily surprised. I'd say when it comes to <laughs> where I've got Sloane okay, going well, in this draw. I mean, we we are already running on overtime, so let's let's get to some let's get to some predictions. I want you to just go go through your quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, and champion. Firstly, I'd like to say just before I go that we did get um, some intel from Kim that she is going Medvedev <laughs> and Sviantec. Just to caveat Straight whatever to we're about to say for the winners there. Um, I see an Alcaraz Hercatch match for the men. I see Diminar, um, Runa, uh, an all Russian affair in Medvedev, Kachanov. I think Norrie's going to have a great tournament. I think Dimitrov might spring an upset or two. Mm-hmm. And then into the semis, I've gone for Hercatch and Runa, Medvedev and Norrie. And then I've gone for a Runa Norrie final. Um, and with a Runa Ooh. win, um, I am Ooh, okay. what you might think is slightly biased by um, the fact that. And I that do. Pro- <laughs> yes. But I just think I've, his game is so good. And um, I don't think he'll be cramping on court. I think he's just going to get uh. it done. Okay. Back to back masters well, titles, gone, Joel. I have gone similarities, but also differences. I've got Alcaraz, Herkaj, Fritz, Sinner, Medvedev, uh-huh. Rude. No, I think I'm already slightly. Re- I'm slightly regretting that. I think with Rude, um, Nori, Sissipas in that bottom quarter, Herkaj, Sinner semi final, um, and Medvedev, Nori. I've got a Herkaj, oh. Medvedev final with Medvedev winning. I can't, We're not too I can't far not off think there. it's going to be Medvedev. Yeah. I The only thing I'd say that I'd like to draw attention to is that I do have Sitsipas going out to Maxime Cressy, Messi Cressy, um, earlier on. So <laughs> we, I'll have to stop doing that in case he ever I got. I still can't really believe you've got Medvedev-Nori semi-final and Nori winning that. Like, what? what? I also can't believe that, but I, I think I was doing it and thought that I don't think that Runa would beat Medvedev. So I think I swapped it. Um <laughs> But you know what, Nori, I'm in, I've been impressed by him this season, um, winning ugly. Okay, what have we got now on the on the women's side? Uh, I've gone for a very tough um, clash between Shvontek and Garcia. I've got Stevens taking out Rabakina, and she's going to face Azarenka in that quarterfinal. I've got Sakari Ostapenko. I've got a rematch again of Benchich Sabalenka, and I've got a Shvontek Stevens semi final. And an Ostapenko Savalenka semi final. So I've really gone for my favourites there with a Sviontek Savalenka final with Eager taking the title once more. I mean, that is pure fantasy land uh, in my book. I've got Sviontek Garcia, Azarenka, Rabakina, Pliskova, Pagula, Bencic, Krachikova. My semis are Sviontek, Rabakina, Pagula, Krachikova. And then I've got a Rabakina, Krachikova final. That would be a fantastic final, I think. And then I've got Rabakina 
as my ladies Indian Wells singles champion. So is she fit, Joel? That's the big question. That's very brave. Is she not fit? Oh, I didn't even. Oh God, I didn't. She actually withdrew from the last match she was due to play. So uh, this, it never happened. Don't tell so me worry. that now. It's fine. It's fine. Don't tell we'll me put, that we'll, now. Right. We'll put these up on our socials, and you can. What tell a us. downer! To, what a downer to end on. But uh, come on, Rebecca. I believe. I believe in you. But um, yeah, we're going to be watching Indian Wells uh, as it unfolds, and uh, obviously, we're going to be keeping you, all of our listeners, up to date. So I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action from the ATP and WTA tours. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email the show at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back next Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ for another episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. So I hope you can join us for that. And hopefully Kim will be back from Palmer as well. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.